0: Due to the sensitive nature of today's episode, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of racism, violence, and death that may be disturbing for some listeners. We advise extreme caution for children under 13.
1: Just before 8 a.m. on December 7, 1941, 20-year-old Sterling Kale clocked out from his overnight shift. He worked in the pharmacy at Pearl Harbor Naval Hospital near Honolulu, Hawaii.
0: After he signed out, Kale walked outside into a bright, beautiful morning. A few puffy clouds dotted the blue sky, and the water in the harbor glittered peacefully.
1: It was a Sunday, so there wasn't much activity on the base. Many sailors were on leave, exploring the neighboring beaches. Others were still asleep. For one day a week, Pearl Harbor was quiet
0: which made the low, droning sound of airplane engines suddenly cutting through the air all the more jarring. In a split second, dozens of dark fighter planes appeared over the harbor, heading toward the base.
1: Kale thought this was strange. The Navy didn't usually train like that on Sundays. And when he looked closer at the planes, he noticed that they each had a red circle on the side. It was the rising sun insignia of the Imperial Japanese Navy.
0: A few seconds later, Kale watched as the first bombs dropped from the Japanese fighters. As
1: explosions ripped across the naval base, Kale realized it was a surprise attack. Otherwise, how could Japan ambush one of the US Navy's largest bases?
0: Unless someone knew the attack was coming and let it happen. Anyway,
1: welcome to Conspiracy Theories, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every Monday and Wednesday, we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. I'm Carter Roy.
0: And I'm Molly Brandenburg.
1: And neither of us are conspiracy theorists,
0: but we are open minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify.
1: This is our second episode in a special four-episode collaboration with our friends at Dictators as we commemorate the 80th anniversary of the attack on Pearl Harbor.
0: Today on Conspiracy Theories, we'll explore tensions between the U.S. and Japan in the early 1900s and how they led to a fever pitch as World War II broke out. We'll cover how wartime negotiations between the two nations devolved and eventually escalated into a brutal ambush in 1941.
1: Then on Dictators, Kate and Richard will continue their deep dive into the Japanese side of the conflict. They'll discuss how Prime Minister Hideki Tojo led Japan into war with the United States and used it to expand his own personal power, creating a brutal policy toward POWs in the process. We'll also examine how his inability to lead Japan to victory made him a pariah among the military
0: elite. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us.
1: This episode is brought to you by Terminix. There's one thing we can all agree on. Dealing with pests is a pain. But luckily, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. So if your home or business has pests... Don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Bottling everything up can be really bad for you in the long run and have some terrible consequences. And this isn't a conspiracy theory. The more you let things build up, the more of a toll it can take on your mental health. I know for me, in dealing with some traumatic events in my life, I had the tendency to think, well, they've already happened, I'm okay, other people have it worse, it doesn't matter much, and through therapy was really able to understand how those events impacted me and changed how I'd started to see the world in ways that weren't great and were sometimes making my life worse. So therapy or dealing with any traumatic events you've had might really help you in terms of how you can live in the present moment now. So if you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also really easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash conspiracy today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com
2: slash conspiracy.
1: For ancient Hawaiians, Pearl Harbor was a majestic, tranquil spot on the island of Oahu. The bay had a narrow entrance and held about 10 square miles of deep water. They called the area Waimomi, or Waters of Pearl, for the abundance
0: of pearl oysters on the seabed. In fact, Waimomi had the most plentiful fish ponds across all 137 of Hawaii's islands. According to one legend, the goddess Ka'aupahau and her brother, Kaiuka protected the harbor from sharks.
1: And it wasn't just mythology that protected Waimomi. There was a thick coral reef at the narrow entrance that kept rough seas out. In the 1700s, the reef even deterred the British from creating a port there. Instead, they developed the area around Honolulu, about seven miles away.
0: But by the early 1900s, the reef alone wasn't enough to keep the bay safe from development. After the United States annexed Hawaii, Congress approved the construction of a naval base at Waimomi. They removed the reef, widened the entrance to the bay to allow for massive warships, and named the base Pearl Harbor.
1: On the other side of the Pacific Ocean, Japan anxiously watched these developments— In addition to Hawaii, the U.S. annexed territories from other Pacific nations, like Guam and the Philippines.
0: At the time, Japan was an isolated, mostly agricultural country with a weak military. This status made them a prime candidate for a Western power, like the U.S., to capitalize on those characteristics and potentially move in on their land. The
1: Japanese were determined to strengthen the country against Western imperialism in the early 1900s. Led by the Meiji Emperor, the country invested in its communications, technology, and defense. A few years later, Japan was on the verge of becoming a superpower with one
0: of the strongest navies in the world. Around the same time, discrimination against Chinese workers caused the U.S. to ban Chinese immigration. But California's agriculture depended on low-cost immigrant laborers, so farmers frequently turned to Japan.
1: They recruited Japanese laborers to take the place of Chinese workers, allowing immigration without restriction. And from Japan's perspective... This could be seen as a major demonstration
0: of acceptance by a Western power. Yet it didn't take long for the same racism that the Chinese experienced to reach Japanese immigrants. By February of 1905, the San Francisco Chronicle published a sprawling article calling Japanese immigration, quote, a menace.
1: Within a year, The San Francisco Board of Education adopted a measure to segregate Japanese school children. The Japanese government was shocked. Their people were allowed to work in the United States, but they weren't actually accepted into society. They were scorned.
0: It didn't seem to matter how hard Japanese immigrants worked or how much they contributed to the American economy. Racism toward the Japanese was undeniably growing and it inflamed hostilities between the US and Japan.
1: Eight years later, in 1914, World War I erupted in Europe. Japan and the United States fought against Germany alongside Great Britain, France and Russia. By the end of the war in 1918, these allies claimed victory. But over 115,000 U.S. soldiers had died during the fighting.
0: The post-war diplomatic landscape was critical because America and Japan pursued vastly different international agendas. By 1919, the U.S. began to remove itself from global affairs with a policy called isolationism.
1: Meanwhile, Japan became even more involved with foreign diplomacy and joined the League of Nations, a precursor to the United Nations, along with France,
0: Italy, and others. But Japan was the only Asian delegation in a global league filled with Western leaders. Adamant to maintain their agency from Western colonization, Japan introduced the Racial Equality Proposal. This asked for equal and just treatment for each race and nationality in the soon-to-be League of Nations.
1: 11 out of the 17 countries present at the negotiations supported the motion. Despite the majority, though, three countries vehemently opposed it. Australia, the UK, and the United States. So because Japan's racial equality proposal didn't have unanimous support, the idea was
0: squashed. Throughout this course of events, U.S. President Woodrow Wilson's message was loud and clear. No matter how impressive Japan became, Western countries and their racism would have the final say.
1: To add insult to injury, in 1924, the US Congress passed the Johnson-Reed Act, banning all immigration from Asian countries, which included Japan.
0: For decades, Japan strived to become a powerful country like the US, Australia, and the UK. It worked and fought alongside each of them, yet through the 1920s, all three of those allies enforced policies that sought to limit immigrants from Asian countries.
1: It was a swift turning point for Japan's national ideology. Instead of continuing to support Western cultures that refused to accept them, Japan quickly became militantly nationalist.
0: Under the rule of Meiji's grandson, Emperor Hirohito, the country adopted the principle of hako Ichiu, or quote, eight corners of the world under one roof. In other words, Japan aspired to world domination. In the late
1: 1920s, two other countries had notably similar goals, Nazi Germany and fascist Italy. Over the next decade, these nations turned their dangerous ideologies into war.
0: By 1939, the Japanese army had spread its influence to the mainland, occupying Manchuria, Mongolia, and parts of China. Meanwhile, Italy captured Ethiopia and Albania. On September 1st, 1939, Germany invaded Poland, and World War II officially began.
1: As the war tore across Europe and Asia, the U.S. adhered to its isolationist policy. President Franklin D. Roosevelt, or FDR, signed neutrality agreements to keep the U.S. out of the conflict. He knew Americans were still scarred from the previous war and the crippling effects of the Great Depression.
0: But while the U.S. wasn't joining the actual war, FDR did declare an economic one. The president approved initiatives to send military aid to the UK and other countries at war with Germany in the lend Lease Act. So even though the Americans weren't fighting alongside the Allied powers, their money was.
1: FDR knew that American neutrality would likely be temporary. Any hostility from Japan or fascist supporters would force the US to retaliate and join the war. And since the American economy supplied many resources for the war, it was only a matter of time before the conflict reached the U.S.
0: Coming up, hostilities between the U.S. and Japan boil over.
3: Hello, I'm Hannah McGuire, And I'm Saruti Bala. And we're the hosts of the new Spotify original from Parcast. Sinister Societies. You may know us from the very creepy and excellent podcast Red-Handed, but now we've teamed up with Parcast for an unprecedented look at history's most nefarious groups. Some preach extreme religious practices, others warn of impending doom, and then there are those whose endgame is far more diabolical. Every Tuesday on Sinister Societies we take a peek behind the curtain and discover the most ominous organisations the world may or may not have known. Learn how entrepreneurial sects made fortunes off their brand, how charismatic cult leaders caught the eye of celebrities, and why strange orders of the extraterrestrial or collegiate kind attract the most unlikely of followers. Some groups convene in the shadows. Others operate in plain sight. All are absolutely sinister. Follow Sinister Societies free and only on Spotify.
0: Now, back to the story. In
1: 1939, the United States pledged to remain neutral in World War II. But the U.S. soon began providing financial aid to the Allied powers. Eventually, Congress also imposed trade restrictions on
0: Japan as it invaded China. As its economy was squeezed, Japan moved closer to siding with Germany and Italy in the war. On September 27, 1940, all three countries formed an alliance known as the Axis Powers.
1: It seemed Japan had finally found a group of powerful Western nations that accepted it as an equal. Which was ironic, granted that both Nazi Germany and Fascist Italy adhered to extremely racist, white supremacist ideologies in their own countries.
0: Yet, the Axis Alliance held potential for Japan's participation in World War II. The partnership meant mutual aid and shared information, like secret code languages.
1: During the war, German armed forces primarily communicated using something called the Enigma Code, which scrambled and encrypted their messages. Germany allowed its allies to use and improve upon this technology and Japan was able to create a new Enigma machine that became a significant method of
0: communication throughout much of the war. The coded language that resulted was a blend of English and Romanized Japanese and it was extremely difficult to decipher. The key changed every single day with 70 trillion possible combinations. U.S. intelligence gave this Japanese code a new name, Purple.
1: Despite its initial stance of neutrality in the conflict, the U.S. Army's Signal Intelligence Service still tried to crack Purple. According to some reports, the decryption attempts were so difficult that the Army's lead cryptographer, William Friedman, had a mental breakdown after spending nearly two years trying to break the code and stepped down from working on the project.
0: Yet, by 1940, the Army had begun to have some success in deciphering purple. It was a small step forward, given that it still took enormous time and effort to decode the many Japanese messages being intercepted every day.
1: There were also other Japanese codes to crack, including a secure naval code called JN-25. It consisted of 90,000 possible words and phrases and the U.S. Army still hadn't deciphered this code.
0: On a national scale, President Roosevelt sent out mixed messages. On one hand, it seemed like he was preparing for war, when in the summer of 1940, he moved the Navy's enormous Pacific fleet from San Diego to Hawaii.
1: But that fall, FDR's Democratic Party adopted a platform that stated, quote, We will not participate in foreign wars, and we will not send our army, naval, or air forces to fight in foreign lands outside of the Americas,
0: except in case of attack. It was subtle, but there was one loophole FDR's speech left open. The U.S. would break its isolationist policy if attacked and go to war immediately.
1: World War II had been raging across Europe and Asia for about a year, spilling over into more and more territory. Should the fighting spread to the US, understandably, FDR felt the nation must be equipped.
0: A few months later, that possibility became more likely. In January of 1941, Japanese admiral Isoroku Yamamoto discussed attacking Hawaii's Pearl Harbor naval forces.
1: Yamamoto had long respected a 20th-century military hero named Togo Heihachiro, who had famously executed an attack that wiped out almost an entire enemy fleet. Yamamoto had fought in that battle, And it seems he thought Japan might be able to
0: achieve the same success against the U.S. With the right preparation and timing, Yamamoto believed a surprise assault on Pearl Harbor could potentially eradicate the U.S. Navy's entire Pacific fleet. It would sideline the Americans, who'd be left to rebuild their forces. Meanwhile, Japan could invade the rest of Southeast Asia without fear.
1: Yamamoto's idea gained steam among Japanese government officials. Rumors of a plan to attack Pearl Harbor eventually reached the U.S. ambassador to Japan later that month, who immediately relayed the information to officials in Washington.
0: No one believed these rumors. American military experts thought that even if Japan attacked, they would be much more likely to target U.S. assets in Guam and the Philippines, which had valuable natural resources.
1: After all, Japan's ongoing war took a large toll on the nation's oil and rubber supplies. The island country had few natural resources to begin with and depended on imports to replenish their stock. Some of these had been obtained by invading Korea, Taiwan, and parts of China, but didn't cover all the supply Japan required. On the surface, Japan still needed the U.S. more than ever. In 1940, The United States had provided Japan with 60% of its oil, and the Imperial Japanese Navy alone consumed over 400 tons of oil an hour. That meant Japan needed to keep the peace with the U.S. to keep receiving oil to fuel the war.
0: All of this seemed to imply that a Japanese surprise attack at Pearl Harbor was unlikely. A select few men in the Navy protested that this response seemed too nonchalant, so more men and equipment were eventually sent to Pearl Harbor, just in case.
1: However, tensions rose just a few months later on May 5, 1941. The Japanese ambassador to Germany learned from Nazi officers that U.S. intelligence was reading Japan's Purple Code, When he reported it, the Japanese government tightened regulations on Purple's
0: use, though they continued using the code. Still, it was an important moment, because Japan now had proof that U.S. intelligence was monitoring the war effort, likely on behalf of their allies in China. But officials in both nations still wanted to avoid combat with their trading partner, so they tried to negotiate a diplomatic solution.
1: In the summer of 1941, U.S. Secretary of State Cordell Hull urged Japan to stop invading other Asian countries and leave the war.
0: Ultimately, the talks reached a stalemate. So the United States tried to discourage Japan's territorial advances in a more severe way.
1: On July 26, 1941, FDR froze all of Japan's financial assets in the US and instituted an oil embargo. Suddenly, Japan had been cut off from its main oil supplier. The Imperial Japanese Navy only had six months of oil stockpiled.
0: Now, the country was rapidly pressed to find a new source, but that wouldn't be an easy task. Shortly after the US made its announcement, Two Allied powers, the UK and the Netherlands, followed suit, banning all trade with Japan. The sprawling
1: effects of the bans left U.S. and Japanese relations more tense than ever. It wasn't a physical conflict, but it was a diplomatic one within the broader context of an ongoing war. Even the New York Times called the American oil embargo, quote, "...the most drastic blow to Japan short
0: of war." However, Japan felt that the ban was simply the last instance in a long line of sour diplomatic negotiations. Over the past 50 years, America had rejected the country's request for racial equity, banned Japanese immigration, and showed an overall attitude of racism toward its people. And now, the U.S. was pulling one of the most crucial materials they needed for the war.
1: For Japan, the oil embargo was the final straw. Japanese officials even wondered if FDR was intentionally forcing them into a corner. And they were prepared to find out.
0: So, the Imperial Navy quietly moved forward with its plan to attack Pearl Harbor.
1: Coming up, the United States faces the dawn of war.
2: Now back to the story.
0: In the summer of 1941, tensions between the U.S. and Japan were at an all-time high. After years of racial and diplomatic slights, negotiations between Japanese and American officials broke down.
1: As a result, the U.S. instituted an oil embargo against Japan. This left the island nation without its main supplier of a vital resource— with only six months worth of oil stockpiled, Japan was in a desperate position.
0: So in the fall of 1941, Japan prepared to attack the U.S. without warning. The Imperial Navy set its sights on the U.S. Pacific Fleet based at Pearl Harbor.
1: On November 5th, 1941, Emperor Hirohito approved the completion of the military's preparations for operations and set a December 1st deadline to end diplomatic efforts. Then, Hirohito sent President Roosevelt two final proposals for negotiation. These presented minor concessions, but neither offered to end Japan's wartime aggression in Southeast Asia. Many have suggested that they were hollow agreements, Meant to waste time and give the illusion that Japan was still intent on diplomacy.
0: Another measure to ensure the attack remained secret was to use Japan's secure naval code, JN-25, not PURPLE, the diplomatic code U.S. intelligence had broken. As a failsafe, though, even the JN code key was changed several times before the attack.
1: This secrecy allowed the Imperial Navy's massive fleet to depart for Hawaii beginning on November 16th. The group eventually included three submarines, two battleships, and six aircraft carriers carrying 353 fighter planes. Their mission was to stay hidden at sea and get close enough to Pearl Harbor to surprise the US fleet anchored at the docks.
0: Perhaps it didn't matter if FDR ever responded to the proposals, or if the U.S. intercepted any naval communications. The attack force was underway.
1: It took a few weeks before U.S. officials noticed that the Japanese forces were moving into the Pacific. By late November, FDR and Secretary of State Hull concluded that the force was likely intended for an attack on US assets.
0: Around the same time, Hull issued a final response to the Japanese. The terms had not changed. The US required Japan to leave World War II and stop invading Southeast Asian nations. In exchange, FDR would lift the oil embargo.
1: Japan wouldn't agree to any concessions. And with the embargo still in place, FDR knew the only response left to the Japanese would be an attack. The next day, November 27, 1941, the president issued a clandestine warning to the military, saying, quote, If hostilities cannot be avoided, the U.S. desires that Japan commit the first overt
0: act. This sentiment only grew more public in the coming days. Shortly after, FDR publicly hinted that U.S. soldiers might be sent to war within a year's time.
1: His cryptic statement was a swift departure from the promise of U.S. neutrality. Though nothing had been declared, the president seemed to make clear that combat was more imminent than ever.
0: No one knew when the attack would take place, but the U.S. Navy still thought the target would be the Philippines. In the first days of December, U.S. forces stationed there prepared for an attack. Meanwhile, caution in Hawaii was far
1: lower. The Navy didn't believe Japan would strike Pearl Harbor, so they didn't bother putting the fleet base on high alerts.
0: On December 3rd, Japan sent an order to its embassy in Washington, D.C., to destroy all of its codebooks and one of its purple encoding machines.
1: After intercepting and decoding this message, U.S. Army cryptographer Frank Rowlett thought something grave was on the horizon. While it was possible that Japan was changing its codes again, he also knew the embassy needed those machines so ambassadors could securely communicate with Japan. There would be no reason to take such measures unless those ambassadors might not be remaining in the U.S.
0: Unfortunately, all the cryptographers could do was monitor the Japanese diplomatic communications until an impending declaration of war was intercepted.
1: Then, on December 6, 1941, the U.S. Army Signal Intelligence Service intercepted a 14-part message from the Japanese government to its embassy in Washington. Encoded in purple... The long missive appeared to simply summarize Japan's view of America's transgressions in the Pacific.
0: But the final part was missing. It didn't arrive until the next day, December 7th, 1941.
1: As dawn broke, the army cryptographers received and decoded the final part. In it, the Japanese government concluded that any agreement with the US was impossible and negotiations were over. It sounded like the declaration of war they had been waiting for. Intelligence officials immediately warned American commanders in the Philippines and Hawaii to brace for a potential Japanese attack.
0: But the warning arrived too late. The Imperial Japanese Navy's massive fleet had already arrived at the launch point near Hawaii.
1: At 6 a.m., the Japanese carriers launched the first wave of 181 planes, including torpedo bombers, dive bombers, and fighters. Led by Captain Mitsuo Fuchida, they made it to Oahu at 7:40 a.m.
0: Fuchida radioed a coded message to the naval fleet that said, quote, "Tora, tora, tora." It was Japanese for tiger, which was the code word for a successful surprise attack.
1: Around 7.50 a.m., U.S. Naval Corpsman James F. Anderson and his friend stood on Pearl Harbor's hospital ship. They waited for the next boat to take them ashore. Like many of the other soldiers, Anderson was excited to enjoy the beautiful weather.
0: It was sunny, and a few white clouds lingered above Battleship Row, where eight battleships, including the USS Oklahoma and the USS Arizona, were moored.
1: Then, a different cloud appeared, except it was black and moving fast. Anderson realized it wasn't a cloud at all, but a squad of Japanese bombers. They swooped low and released their torpedoes into the water. Explosions rocked the harbor.
0: Just after 8 a.m., a 1,760-pound explosive hit the USS Arizona and ignited the hundreds of thousands of pounds of ammunition on board. At 8.10 a.m., the battleship erupted into a fiery blast, instantly killing hundreds of men inside.
1: The ship tore apart and sank, taking a total of 1,177 of the ship's crew with her. Of all the vessels on Battleship Row that sustained damage, the USS Arizona took the heaviest losses.
0: Meanwhile, by 8.08 a.m., several Japanese torpedoes had slammed into the USS Oklahoma. Within minutes, it rolled over and capsized, trapping hundreds of sailors inside.
1: Across all eight ships, sailors jumped off the flaming vessels into the harbor, but the once majestic oyster-filled waters were now toxic. Slick layers of oil leaking from the damaged ships covered the surface— Before many of the men could swim ashore, these highly flammable patches of oil caught fire and burned them to death.
0: Finally, at around 8.30 a.m., there was a lull in the Japanese bombing. During this reprieve, the crew of the damaged USS Nevada attempted to escape from the harbor and into the open ocean.
1: But the Imperial Navy's second wave of 170 bombers arrived at 8.55 a.m., The Nevada was nearing the entrance of the harbor, but it was caught in the open. The second wave immediately bombed the battleship, leaving the Nevada heavily damaged and beached. It was clear there was no escape.
0: Amidst the chaos, many US Navy sailors still fought back, opening fire from the decks at the Japanese fighters. A few American fighter planes even got off the ground and shot down several Japanese planes.
1: By 11 a.m., the Imperial Japanese Navy's planes had been returning to their carriers for about an hour, including Captain Fuchida's aircraft. Feeling victorious, he immediately went to his superiors to report how much damage the attack caused.
0: The Imperial Navy sunk or damaged 21 ships in the U.S. Pacific Fleet. 188 American aircraft were destroyed. The surprise attack was clearly successful.
1: Fuchida even asked the admirals to launch a third wave of bombers. This ambush would focus on Oahu's oil reserves. If the U.S. was going to deprive Japan of fuel, the Imperial Navy was going to do the same
0: to them. But Vice Admiral Chuichi Nagumo hesitated. There was still one component of the attack that hadn't worked. U.S. aircraft carriers were still intact none of them were in the harbor that morning
1: in that sense the strike wasn't as successful as it appeared because american planes launched from carriers could still attack japan not only that a third wave wouldn't be a surprise the survivors at pearl harbor would expect it and would have defenses prepared
0: By this time, the Imperial Navy had lost 29 planes and 129 men, with most of them perishing during the second wave as more U.S. sailors fought back. Nagumo wasn't prepared to take on any more losses. He would settle with the reality that the U.S. Navy had been terribly weakened, though not destroyed.
1: His decision to reject a third wave and withdraw from Pearl Harbor was final. And controversial within the Japanese leadership, but the attack was over.
0: In total, Japan's surprise attack on Pearl Harbor killed 2,403 people, including 68 civilians. At the time, it was the deadliest attack on American soil in the nation's history.
1: Not only that, but on December 8th, the Japanese invaded the U.S. Pacific territories including the Philippines and Guam.
0: And as news of Pearl Harbor reached the U.S. mainland, the American people were stunned and angry.
1: President Roosevelt knew he needed to address the reeling nation. One day after the attack, FDR gave his most famous speech at a joint congressional session. The entire country listened via radio.
0: Yesterday, December 7th,
2: 1941, a date which will live in
0: infamy. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire
2: of Japan. The United States was at peace with that
0: nation and at solicitation of Japan, still in conversation with its government and its emperor, looking toward the maintenance of peace in the Pacific. FDR went on to say that the U.S. government received a message from Japan an hour after the attack began. He was referring to the 14-part message, which ended with what many have since viewed as a war proclamation.
1: The president ended his remarks by asking Congress to declare war against Japan. It took less than an hour for the House of Representatives to vote overwhelmingly in favor. And at 4.10 p.m., FDR signed the paperwork, making it official. The United States declared war on Japan and officially entered World War II.
0: At the time, it seemed a clear-cut response to a malicious attack, one that FDR himself had hinted he was prepared to take. But perhaps the
1: importance of Pearl Harbor is the exact question that, for the rest of the 1940s, nearly everyone in the U.S. government asked. How did this attack even happen?
0: And the potential answers were polarizing.
1: Next time on Conspiracy Theories, we'll discuss three leading conspiracy theories about the Pearl Harbor attack and what the U.S. government potentially knew ahead of time.
0: Conspiracy theory number one. A mysterious magazine advertisement contained a coded warning for the attack's date and time.
1: And conspiracy theory number two. The U.S. government covered up a Japanese warning that hinted the ambush was coming.
0: And finally, conspiracy theory number three. President Roosevelt provoked Japan into assaulting the U.S. in order to secure public support to enter the war.
1: In the meantime, look out for part two of Hideki Tojo's side of the story. The hosts of Dictators will pick up the story from the Japanese perspective as Tojo leads Japan into war with the United States and oversees brutal wartime atrocities.
0: No matter what the truth is, over 2,000 people died in the devastating attack, and many of them remain in Pearl Harbor, unable to be recovered from the wreckage of sunken ships.
1: The impact of that pain has been a driving force in how Americans remember Pearl Harbor and how the desire for retribution remains a part of the country's legacy in entering World War II. for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify.
0: Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story.
1: And the official story isn't
2: always the truth.
0: Conspiracy Theories is a Spotify original from ParCast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Mallory Cara, with writing assistance by Andrew Messer and Mackenzie Moore. Fact-checking by Bennett Logan, and research by Bradley Klein. Conspiracy Theories stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy. You aren't supposed to know about them
3: unless they want you to. Powerful groups with their own very specific agendas. And if you find yourself on the inside, good luck getting out. Hi, I'm Hannah Maguire. And I'm Saruti Bala. Join us every Tuesday for our new Spotify original from Parcast, Sinister Societies. Whether it's Doomsday Predictions, Deadly Greed or World Domination, Each week, we're exposing the beliefs and actions of the most ominous organisations the world may or may not have known. Follow Sinister Societies free and only on Spotify.